Well, um, okay. I mean, what do we? There it is. <laughs> what, what do we say? Do we say we still do the this? same thing? No, no, we don't say that. I could barely even get the recording going. <laughs> yeah, which is strange. Which is strange because um, we just recorded something. Which <laughs> is recorded right before this. Okay, so um, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing pretty well. Yeah, let's but take a little I... uh, take some inventory here. Uh, how's life, yeah. man? Well. I have a couple of things to say, but I'm not the one that's going to be ordained a priest in a couple of months. Dude, it's happening, bro. I want to hear how you are. Um, <laughs> you know, that was, that was I think, textbook deflection uh, that you just did. <laughs> I asked you how yeah. you were doing, and you asked me how I was doing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Does that mean that you're depressed? We'll get to that. Could be. Could be. Um, well, I, thank you for asking. Um, I am doing pretty well. So as you know, I'm living in Spain, and I am <laughs> finishing a master's degree in Ignatian spirituality, um, which is going very well. Uh, I have a lot of work, and I often feel very frustrated because my program doesn't really respect how much work it's giving me. Um, hmm. And it's been a little bit frustrating because we get a lot of reading, a lot of work, a lot of class time, and not a lot of free time to do the big projects that are being <laughs> sure. asked of us. Anyway. So I've been learning a lot about the content, but on a meta level, I've been learning a lot about how to be a better teacher. <laughs> hmm. um, oh, that's important. Yeah, just because, yeah. but learning by comparison, you know, and like seeing myself as a student after having taught and then seeing what teachers do really makes me think yeah. back on the way I used to teach and saying, you know what, if I'm going to be a better teacher next time around, I need to make sure not to ever do this again. Um, well, I can't help but think that that's one of the wisdom bits of putting our the way our formation is structured like it's not just about going to work full-time mm. it's about having that experience so that when you go back to to studies then you have a little bit more data and a little bit more information on how to move forward in whatever yeah. you do so as a student or as a teacher right so let me give you an example so one example that i have taken from my years of being a student that I would definitely implement now if I were a teacher um, is everything that I do, whether it be a lecture that I give, an assignment that I give, um, an exam that I give, everything needs to have a reason. So yeah. if there's no reason for it, then don't do it. Um, and, I sure. and the reason I say that as a student is because I find that my teachers give us a lot of excess reading, a lot of excess assignments, a lot of unnecessary classes too, a lot of lectures that are unnecessary. And I think it's just to like to fulfill requirements. And sure. it's very frustrating, especially thinking back to my way of teaching. My way of teaching, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of filler stuff because I had the insecurity of not knowing what I was doing. Um, and so I think like a mature teacher is someone who's able to say everything has a purpose. Maybe not everything has like, you know, a detailed like metric, but everything has a purpose in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, a first-year teacher is not going to know that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not going to do that. So, I mean, that's again, that's part of why we do that. I think. Yeah. Oh, so totally. That, so that you can, so that you can learn that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And so I just find that if I, I would be a much better teacher now, I think, than I ever was as a reader. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and on a to put it a little bit more negatively, I and this is maybe just reflecting on my own sense of like like self-esteem and self-worth is that I look back on with a little bit of embarrassment and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what mm. did I, what did I put my students through? You know? And I, and that can be the evil spirit pushing me, you know, to, to looking back in my past with, without gratitude. But 
there's also a lesson there of learning of like, oh man, I was not, I was not doing the right thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows? Um, but anyway, yeah. no, the program has been good. Living in Spain has been good. And to answer your question, you know, I, I'm in the throes of a semester where I'm finishing my master's, but I'm also getting ready for the ordination in June, which is going to be great. And I've been planning um, masses of Thanksgiving, uh, visiting friends That's and awesome. family, um, getting uh, addresses and everything for the invitations. Um, you made a wonderful prayer card for me, and I've shared it with a few friends. Uh, that'll be the gift for my ordination to give to people uh, as, a, as a reminder. Um, yeah, you did a wonderful job with that, so thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, all around, just very busy, but I've been very happy, and I, yeah. I've been enjoying the preparation time. And I also... Frankly, just kind of been ready to not be a deacon anymore. Like I, <laughs> I've liked it, and yeah. I, I love preaching, but yeah, I just kind of don't. I would like you always say, like I didn't join to be a deacon. You know, I, I want to be, yeah. I want to be a priest, and I look forward to that. And yeah, um, and I loved being a deacon, mm-hmm. and I think, and I think you love being a deacon. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's not what our vocation is. <laughs> yeah, and the, the struggle that I have right now a little bit in Spain is that I don't have ministry as a deacon really. Like I, I have. I have a parish that I go and do preaching at, and then I have another ministry that I do that's accompanying like a, a spiritual group, but I don't baptize mm-hmm. and I don't witness marriages. So like sacramentally, I don't really do mm. much. Um, yeah. Well, sacramentally, I don't do anything. Uh, I just, you know, I <laughs> preach at mass, which is... <laughs> well, it's a sacramental, I think. Sure, is sure. It? Well, no. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that's all to say <laughs> that like, I'm looking forward to being a priest. And, um, yeah, no, that's cool. I remember... Um, Setting up those masses of Thanksgiving being like one of those, oh man, this is really real moments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you're like, yeah, you're going to do that. <laughs> you're going to be the presider at that day. <laughs> oh, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, so as it is, I've set up a massive Thanksgiving right after the ordination in St. Louis. And then there's a massive Thanksgiving in Houston uh, the week after in my home parish. Then there'll be a massive Thanksgiving the following week on a daily mass uh, in Dallas. And then a daily mass at my alma mater. Um, and then I also have already scheduled that week two baptisms of some friends who are nice. having babies in the next couple of months. Um, nice. Yeah. So sacramental think, work uh, is coming quick. That's cool. We had a, one of our friends, I think he had a baptism the day, like the night of his ordination. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think that I would do that. <laughs> yeah. I think um, one, of the, one of the things like, I've learned in my life is let things have their their space and their time so yeah, yeah. you know like like i i used to be notorious for double booking and for hmm. um like making people wait for me because i was overbooked on things right it's right like, well i'm not saying that's what this guy did but i think there's just a lot of wisdom that i i feel like i can still learn from which has been really helpful is yeah, be happy with this one thing being the one thing that you do right now. Right, yeah. And ordination is kind of a big thing. Yeah, that whole day uh, is like... like <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is. Yeah, and so like when I leave the ordination and I go to the reception, if someone asks to hear my... Con- if I wants me to hear the confession, I would gladly do that. If there's an emergency baptism that has to happen, I'd gladly do that. But like I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to schedule a holy hour, you know, that afternoon where I'm presiding yeah. at it or something, you know. Are you going to do the... Uh, uh, Manaturgia and stole tradition. Ugh, I kind of wish you hadn't asked me that because I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the answer is absolutely, but I I just don't know. 
how like I get I get nervous about that. Like I like some people don't like it, and then I just worry about yeah. offending people and like I don't know. I don't know. As scruples, scruples come in really quickly. So, oh I, sure, we'll I just want anything. I would love to do it, and I probably will do it. But um, I get nervous about people talking about me and being like, "Oh, just, like <laughs> David did that," and like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You did it. No, I get that. Uh, yeah, but you didn't do it at your first mass, right? Yeah, I waited. Yeah, would you say there's wisdom in waiting? Well, I mean. <sighs> Again, going back to that comment that you made about letting things be things, like, is that, is that almost like a humble brag? Like, oh, you're going to all be here for my first mass, but then I'm going to punt and let the focus be on something else for a minute. I'm not mm. saying that, that, that that's what people do. Sure. Um, but like, yeah, just have the first mass and don't really, I mean, it is about you, but it's still mass. Like, yeah. Let it be that. <laughs> right, right. I think, you know, as we're talking, I think I'd be very happy to do the Manaturgia and still tradition, but to maybe do it at my massive Thanksgiving at my home parish where... Mm, yeah, where, where people after, know you. Yeah. People know me. And afterwards, there's going to be a big, like, reception, you know, with a lot of family friends and a lot of friends from college and yeah. high school. Yeah, and do like, it then. That'd be a good place to do it. Um, maybe even at the reception, you know, like, that could just be a good yeah. moment to say thank you to my parents, you know, for... Yeah. Anyway, so letting things be things. Um, yeah. I also, I mean, and this, I'm fully um, willing to take this as just a me thing. Um, but I don't like do the whole round of thank yous. In pretty much the same way that I don't like announcements. <laughs> like, there's better ways to, to do that, to say that, to be grateful so like at the end of the to, first mass to say thank you? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, it's great. And you you're, you may do it and that's fine. Hmm. Um, it's a big moment. Like, okay. But again, like I struggle with it because like I just don't find that that's the place for something like that. Sure. Just like, let mass be mass. Let mass be mass. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Am I, do I have... being uppity about that? <laughs> I don't think so because I think on one level... It is a celebration of your first mass yeah, and your ordination. Yeah, it is, and I and I I struggle with that. I don't want I I'll minimize myself as much as possible. Like right. I don't even tell people when it's my birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's um, something that's an area where you could probably be a little bit less. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, although I will, where I do agree with you is I I have I have a, the same sort of feeling about like making that first mass more than what the parish normally does. Right. Well, especially, yeah, especially if it's not where you're from, like if so, you're a visitor. So, for example, I'm going to be a visiting priest at the 8 a.m. mass at the parish where I'm being ordained. And that I was told by the pastor, like, that's a very low-key mass, and he would he would appreciate it if it stayed that way. Um, yeah. And I totally understand that, and I agree with that. And I don't, I'm not saying that guys who do this are, are doing this, but I, I don't really want to, like, hire my own musician and hire you know, mm-hmm. uh, a group of people to play music that aren't from there or to get a bunch of altar servers that don't go. I don't know. I just letting the mass be a oh, mass. Sure, yeah. And yeah. Anyway, I mean, as it is, like, I'm going to preach at my first mass, which is going to be um, an opportunity for people to, to celebrate with me. And, you know, I'm not going to yeah. punt on that either. Like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that tradition, frankly. And I, again, well, I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> and you did a great job. Like, I remember your first mass was really fun because you tripped on your way up to the Ambo. Um, yeah, people think I d- thought I did that on purpose. <laughs> oh no, I know that you're not smart enough to do that. So like, 
you <laughs> you're just haphazard enough uh, to trip over your alb as you're yeah. um, But it was it was it was endearing because it made it made the moment clear that this is a, a new priest who you know, and we all know that you've been up at an ambo many many times before. But yeah. it just kind of added to the dimension of like. Oh, he's a new priest, and of course, he messed up a little bit. That's great. Like, that's the charm, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's um, cool. So anyway, so it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I um, I don't have a lot of thoughts right now about how I feel about getting ordained. I, I don't know what you think about this, but, like, I I just don't really think about it. Like, I just, I don't really... Well, yeah. I mean, you've literally been actively working towards this for a decade. <laughs> right. Like there there are people that um, I talk to who are not in our life who are like, "Oh my gosh, how does it feel like you're finally there?" Like I just don't think yeah. that. Way. Like I don't Yeah, no, it's like you know, we've been ministering. Fin- we've been doing a lot of this stuff for again a decade. Right. Like the whole finally thing doesn't really resonate yeah, with right. me, you know. Right, right, right. Um I yeah. will say for me though, I remember when I was I did uh, a summer in India before I was ordained a deacon. And I remember then, then especially, like this was months before diaconate ordination, and just introducing myself as, um, you know, a scholastic and this stuff. I was like, I'm just ready to not do that anymore. <laughs> to just be like, a priest. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's just start moving on this. Yeah. Uh, no, totally. Totally. Um so anyway, yeah, so that's good. So maybe I'll just flip the question, question around at you. you. This is the first year of your priesthood. How's that going? It's great. I love it. What, um, have, um, what have you been learning about your priesthood in these months of ministry? It's mundane. It's kind of boring. <laughs> um, and it's, I mean, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Um, mm-hmm. This is no like, pictures of men video, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's uh, no, it's literally like en- entering into the lives of the people that I that I minister to and who minister to me. Are like, you saying that they have boring lives? No, they have regular <laughs> lives. <laughs> uh, and it's not, you know, we we I think we envision, you know, the rock star life for the priest, and sometimes that happens. Like you do get wined and dined at times. I just did this retreat that I'll talk about in a minute, and that was awesome. Um, but for the most part, it's like regular life, <laughs> mm, right? Right. Um, which is kind of nice, to be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that you, that I do get, you know, that I'm not so far removed from real the real world, right? Um, so actually, you know, when you say that, I I'm immediately thinking of some some. This is me a little bit polemical, but like, <laughs> like some people would disagree with you and say that. Like maybe maybe you're not living your priesthood right or something because oh really well and I don't agree with that but I I I have in my mind there are some I think priests or seminarians who might even say like the priest is not of this world you know um, and he needs to be otherworldly and so with this like tinge of like that Fishers of Men video where everything is heroism and like the, yeah. the heroic priesthood where yeah yeah I don't know like. I, I, I'm very much in line with you, I think. Like, this is how I've lived up my diaconate. It's like, it just seems very ordinary. And I, I, I don't mean the word ordinary, ordinary in like a trivial way or a dismissive way, but just sure. in an integrated way. It's like, this is just who we are. Um, I don't know. Like, what are your... I'm well, pushing back a little bit just to I see think, where you, where you, where yeah, you react yeah, yeah. to that. No, I, I mean, we do live a very different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, people aren't poor, chaste, and obedient in the same way that 
religious are and mm-hmm. that priests promise to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is that element of bringing in, you know, as Bishop Barron would, would say to, to be that bearer of mystery. Mm-hmm. Like we need, we need to be that one that is, you know, a little weird and a little otherworldly, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that that means being separate. Hmm. Like I'm not going to be locked up in my ivory tower mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, I don't dare to to interact with with the riffraff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I just think that's not what a what a priest is. That's not what a minister is. Right. It's somebody, and like Pope Francis said, it's somebody that smells like the sheep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so, and I mean, and there's a tension there, right? Like, you don't want to, you don't want to go too far and just be, you know, a random, a rand, some rando. Like, <laughs> is he a priest? What's yeah, going on? Yeah, right, right. Um, like, and that's not what I'm saying I'm doing. Like, I'm, um, but when you enter into people's lives, like, you realize, well, it's just kind of ordinary. Mm-hmm, and I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I say mass almost every day. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm doing the priest things. Um, and it's beautiful. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, so I'm going to read to you something here to, so I've been reading a lot on like the spirituality of priesthood to try and get me ready. Um, yeah. And, uh, what this author that, that I'm reading is talking about the kind of priest that he would want. He's a layman, uh, or he's not a layman, but, He's, he's writing from the point of view of the laity and saying, like, what kind of priest he would want ministering to him. Um, and he's talking about all these different kinds of priests that he would not want ministering to him. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and he said, there are those uh, that lack the freedom to allow um, the Holy Spirit to blow where he wills. Um, and, you know, are caught up in their own sense of what is right and wrong in terms of living their life, but are not open to the Spirit moving. Um, that, and he said that the, the priest that he wants is a holy priest. Um, he's a priest that's ordinary, uh, and nourishing as a loaf of bread. Hmm. So a priest who needs to be ordinary and nourishing like a loaf of bread from which anyone can break off a piece for himself. Um, hmm. and I found that really interesting. Cause like, I think a lot of times we want to be, I, I get tempted by this a lot as a priest or as a deacon, just be thinking about like, I want to be a celebrity. Like I want to be yeah, yeah. like by analogy, like I want to be an exquisite meal to the world that has wise words, that has life experience that can change people's, um, you know, journeys and to be anyway, to just to be um, more than just ordinary nourishment for people. Cause there's nothing really all that attractive about a loaf of bread. Um, right. And this author is saying, you know, a priest, the priest that he wants is humble. And to be humble is to be ordinary but nourishing so that everyone can break off a piece and also be nourished by it. I don't know. I just yeah. found that to and be a really striking image. Uh, who is the bread of life? Jesus. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, we're, who are we trying to imitate? The one who literally did that has become the bread for the world. Yeah. And so just to be thinking about that, like, what does it mean for you to say that your life is kind of boring? Well, you're not, you don't mean that in the, like, literal sense but I think yeah what you no mean no is, no it's ordinary like there's it's the ordinary manner, yeah. the manner is ordinary you know yeah yeah um and there's a beauty in that mm-hmm. because that's where people are mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we want to be where people are <laughs> yeah yeah no that's good i think there's something to be said about that because i think 
after 10 years of formation, there can be a temptation in my mind where the day after the ordination, somehow life is different. Um, right, right. It's like, well, hold on And a you second. are changed, mm-hmm. but not in like the way that that word evokes in our imagination. Right. So maybe the, I mean, I don't want to be a heretic here, but just to be thinking about how the Eucharist is bread that's transformed uh, yeah. in substance. And so it still looks like ordinary bread. And there's some, there's a, there's a reality, there's a, a deeper reality that is communicated, right. but it's right, still under right, the appearance right. of, of ordinariness. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that's interesting. I appreciate that. Um, cool, man. So tell me about this retreat that you were on. So I am in Denver, mm-hmm. as you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the um, Fellowship of Catholic University students mm-hmm. focus. Is that what they're called? Yeah. <laughs> focus. Their headquarters are also in Denver. Right. So one of the things that I've been doing these past few months is going up to their headquarters, you know, a couple times a month, um, and saying mass for them. Hmm. And this is the second retreat that I've been able to help out with with them. Um, this one, however, was epic. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you go to the headquarters uh, to say mass at their headquarters, but then you also participate at, at the retreats? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a, occasional the ones that I can fit into the to schedule. Because a lot of times they they want to do these things on the weekend, and that's like literally the worst time for me to, to leave because I can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, this happened to work. Um, and it was for focused missionaries. So they weren't college students coming in. Um, but it was their music ministry. Hmm. So it was a, um, yeah, retreat for their, for music leadership. Wow. And so being able to, to kind of hang out with just a room full of musicians, like people that active are active in their, and striving for, uh, beauty, Hmm. um, was awesome. Like that's, and I got to give a couple of talks during my homilies and, um, just to be there with him was was really 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 cool, and it gave me a lot of hope hmm. that this is a room full of young people, a lot of young people on fire with their faith, absolutely that also want to instill beauty in the world. Hmm. Um, yeah, man, I was just blown away by it. Yeah, tell um, me more about it. Why were you blown away by it? Well, I can get as a visual artist, I can get kind of down <laughs> by looking at a lot of visual art in mm. churches these days because mm-hmm. not a lot of it is good mm. um and so like seeing a room full of people that that well that want to change that mm. um that don't want it just to be you know this thing that we have to do and actually you know they they um they were talking about the uh what developed in the liturgy as the four song sandwich is that you always have your entrance song, your communion meditation song. What is it? Offertory song, communion meditation song, closing song. Uh-huh. Like those are the non-negotiables of liturgy, apparently. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? Well, that, but that's, that's the that's thing. Right. Like that's, no, it's not. That's That was their point. That like, that's kind of what's become. Oh, I the, see. I see. The norm of our liturgical practice. and Because like, if there is anything that's indispensable for music, it would be like the ordinaries. Right, and that's that was all we were all we were talking about all of that stuff, and it was cool and and just like digging into the liturgy and looking at how all of these different things like culminate in this wonderful 
act of worship. Mm. Um, that they're all for that end rather than this is not a vehicle for us to sing more songs. Sure. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, how did it make you feel as a priest to be there with them and not just as a fellow Christian or as a fellow well, artist? Like, was there something yeah. palpable for you there as a priest to be like, I don't know. I, um, well, certainly to be just to be there and to walk with them and to and to you I know, imagine you hear the confessions, confessions and, and yeah. yeah 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 um that's awesome but I think there is something to that really excited me about being um shoulder to shoulder with the music ministry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I get the sense sometimes and again this is a very limited our choir in my at my parish in Berkeley was phenomenal and worked very well with both the Dominicans that were there my first year and then the diocesan priest that was there my last two years. Um, but I can I get the sense sometimes that there's kind of um, of a barrier between the two. Hmm. Um, like there's almost a bit of a battle. Where the, the music ministry runs in parallel to... Right, right, right. Right. Um, and so this was really a great moment for me to to kind of like really pray and meditate and actively speak with these people mm-hmm. <laughs> that I will be, you know, worshiping with as um, in the liturgy. And like to just to kind of, yeah, to break that down and to not feel so standoffish hmm. um, as like the two factions of the liturgy. Yeah, no, totally. I imagine yeah. for you, because it would probably be the case for me too, it's just there's something really enlivening about seeing young Catholics on fire for the faith and dedicated to the mission of the church, especially in a dark time in the church where there's not a lot of hope or there might not be a lot of um, optimism about evangelization, to see people on fire, which seeing seeing young people on fire for me is not uncommon because I grew up in that um, right. in, in that world. I, you didn't come from that world. so No, not what, really. <laughs> no, so what, what is that like for you to see young people on fire, you know, wanting well, I will worship, say, wanting adoration, wanting confession, wanting mass? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, we, we like to keep our stereotypes in neat little boxes, you know, only... Liberal Catholics like praise and worship, and only conservative Catholics like adoration. Mm-hmm. Which is and ridiculous. A, yeah, it's dumb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, this is a group of people that want both. You know, they I find want, it strange that you think that liberal Catholics want praise and worship. I've always associated that with more traditional Catholics. Really? Well, well I guess, so here's the thing: I where I grew up um, was very Baptist, very Protestant, hmm. and so I, un, really, until I was a Jesuit always associated praise and worship with Protestant worship. Hmm. And so like that, that's still in some sense a a learning curve for me to like recognize that this is a Catholic thing too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it's a kind of a weird. (laughs) So I I mean, I grew up within, (laughs) within the church in the States. I grew up within like the youth movement of, uh, you know, life teen, for example, or the Francisco university, like all the the youth movements that come from that, and then the you know the yeah. CFRs and the renewal, so all that you know incorporates a lot of the praise and worship stuff into very traditional forms of worship like adoration, benediction, right, right, um, even the liturgy of the hours. Um, yeah, so for me, it's not uncommon, and I I often found that it's like within. Yeah, I don't know. It's again, this is a very awkward thing to be talking about, but like, what does it mean to be a conservative or liberal Catholic is a tough conversation, but. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting that from your perspective, you're coming from a world where it was a non-Catholic thing to do praise and worship, yeah. you know? Yeah, because um, I did go to, you know, some Protestant worship services with, with my friends because they were all Protestant. Hmm. Um, and that's basically all that it was. Yeah, you know, for me, actually, like with my Protestant sister-in-law, it's actually one of the points of contact where she and I can, like I can go to her church service and really enjoy it because... Hmm. Like, it touches my heart in a way that really reminds me of my youth, which is mm-hmm. praising God yeah. through song, you know, through a very charismatic song. Sure. Um, no, that's cool, man. I'm really, I'm really glad that you got that experience. Yeah. yeah, and again, it was one of these moments where, you know, it's like, they just, people just crave the sacraments. They really do. Uh, and to be able to be there and to, and to provide that is awesome. So that does kind of play into that rock star desire uh sure sure <laughs> coming in and, and doing all of that and being yeah it, it is interesting because like it's tough it, this is a tough it goes back to the left and right liberal conservative catholic thing and it's tough because i think many of us want to dismiss it as like there's no such thing but it's like well there isn't a thing there's not a thing sure but there is a thing and <laughs> the thing the problem that i find <laughs> is that um within within traditional circles um you find you find nuance like you have very extreme right where it's only latin mass and you have you know right leaning catholics as well who want praise and worship and who want adoration and then you start moving to the left where maybe there's a disdain for that kind of worship but there's more of an emphasis on social justice and more of an emphasis on service um yeah yeah as if those are separate yeah as if they were separate (laughs) and the question for me as a priest would be how to minister to both and also how to reconcile both how do you challenge absolutely the right to you know to go and fight for immigrant rights how do you challenge the left to pray at the abortion clinic how do you you know Mm -hmm. how do you accompany both um how do you how do you you know celebrate um you know eucharistic adoration with taze and with uh silence and with praise and worship, or and also with chant, like with all the things, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and just kind of again breaking down a lot of those barriers that we've that we've put into mm. place to make our own nice little little uh, little pocket of the church make sense. Right, right. Um, so, uh, kind of switching gears for a second, you reminded me. I was uh, last weekend. I got I got to go to. Um, uh, I want to say Toledo, which is ridiculous. Um, not Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> Ohio. <laughs> um, but, you know, Toledo in Spain, which is just outside oh. of Madrid, uh, which is a really famous old city. It used to be the capital of the of the kingdom of Spain. And uh, it's you're an artist, so you should probably know who El Greco is. I imagine you've... you've <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so it's where he was from. And he was uh-huh. from Greece, but he settled in Toledo. Toledo. And... Uh, that's where he had his workshop. That's where he did most of his paintings. Yeah, um, that's cool. Anyway, so I wanted to go see a lot of his work. And surprisingly, most of his work is not in his museum. It's in the cathedral, um, mm. which is really cool. And I just started thinking about that a little bit when you were talking about being with these artists who are really interested in having their art be at the service of of praising God. I want to send you... So in the cathedral, there's a lot of Greco um, but I got to tell you, the Greco was not what arrested me. And I know you and I talk about art a lot. Um, but I had an experience, a spirit, I want to call it a spiritual experience with a work of art um, in this cathedral. Um, and to set it up a little bit, so it's in the sacristy. In the sacristy, when you think about these old medieval cathedrals, the sacristy is not 
a broom closet, you know, where you get the chalice. <laughs> um, sacristies were, bi- were about the size of what we would consider most big chapels now. Um, you know, you walk in and there are huge vaulted ceilings with massive, you know, uh, windows and walls and everything. Anyway, in that sacristy, there was a big Greco, and it was in the middle, if, as if there were a high altar there. And I think there may used to have been a high mm. altar in the sacristy. Um, and it's Jesus um, Jesus being tried. Uh, and he's wearing this massive red, uh, beautiful red robe. Anyway, but off to the side, there's another side image, and it's not a Greco. And, it's, and the Greco did not arrest me. Um, and I keep using that word intentionally just because... Maybe ironically, it was of the arrest of Jesus. Um, mm. And it just it got me thinking a lot about uh, what the purpose of art is um, and how I had a bit of a spiritual experience just looking at this image and how this image captivated me. Um, so I'm going to send it to you and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I've seen this image before and the artist is Goya. Um, oh, yeah. Who I love. I don't know about you, but I just love Goya. Um, mm. And it's the arrest of Jesus. And I want to get your take on it when you see it. Um, well, did you get it? We don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is his robe pink in real life or is that just your camera? No, it's pink. It's pink. That's interesting because you yeah. don't often see that. Yeah, you don't often see it. And I, yeah, tell me about it. What do you, what do you notice in it? What do you... Well, it's very, it reminds me of a Rembrandt with that strong light source. Yeah. That's not coming from Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, that's something, I'm glad that you noticed that because I was wondering, where is the light coming from in this? Like, It's probably the guy that's pointing is holding a lantern or something. Right. So like literally that's what's going on, but like it's not obvious. And so the artist is saying right. something about where, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, how light is playing in this. Anyway, yeah. I, I, I want to give... Yeah. I was no, arrested by this and it, it just, it moved me, it moved me as I was looking at it and it drew me into, like, mm. this mm. happens sometimes. I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me when I go into a museum where sometimes there's a work of art that I'll just stop dead in my tracks and just stand there for like 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this was that. And next to it, there was this beautiful Greco, but it just didn't do it for me, you know? Mm. Um well, it's a very different style than El Greco as well. Like this is kind of a burst of of something different. Yeah, I'm going to send you this picture, this painting in context with what's next to it, which is the Greco. Um, so and this picture I'm about to send you that I took on the right is the image I just sent you. And on the left, um, it's part of the image of the Greco. Um, and I put them side by side just to get a, to just remind myself of what of what was there in context. Yeah. Oh, and we'll put well, these in the show notes for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And keep in mind that, like, well, it does kind of look like a museum. Um, but, oh, I've seen that one before. Yeah. So yeah, putting these two next to each other, person. like, like the Greco was supposed to be the, it's the one that everyone looked at. It's the one that everyone stopped yeah. at. And I just stood there completely ignoring it, looking at this other one. I don't know. There's something, and I know we talk about this a lot, but, like, there's something about art that has this ability to move me and draw yeah. me up. Um, well, and that's the idea, you know, it's, it's tapping into what's true and good and beautiful of the world that God has made. Mm-hmm. And it's, and this is true with secular or s- sacred art, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that as long as it does that, then I think it's going to have elicit that response from people. Yeah. Do you notice like in these two images, I, I notice 
I don't know if you notice this, but like it seems like Greco has a real strong emphasis on like the divinity of Jesus, and Goya uh-huh. has a strong emphasis on the humanity of Jesus. Do you get that? Well, I mean, he's wearing red, which is the symbol of divinity, um, and he's also yeah, like floating, you know? Yeah, yeah, and he has kind of that um, what I would what I would describe as a, a Saint John um, face, mm-hmm. the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Um, where he's just kind of, oh, this is happening to me. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, whereas uh, the Goya? It's dark. I mean, look at the people screaming in the back. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can maybe find you can maybe find a better image of this online. Uh, but anyway, I, I know this is unrelated to what you're talking about, but I was just thinking well, no. about my own experience of, of that. Yeah, but also look at the context of where you saw it. I mean, it it is kind of like a museum now, I guess. Mm-hmm. But that is not as crowded as when you go to an actual museum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we recall back to our last episode, was that the last one? We talked about the zombie apocalypse? Two episodes ago. Two episodes ago, where I went to the Monet exhibit, mm-hmm. and I was just, just shocked <laughs> at how people were, how I perceived people um, to just be like passively consuming the beauty that was there and not just stopping dead in their tracks and being floored by it. Yeah. Oh, totally. It becomes um, this con- the consumer thing that we're talking about, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think the context of this really helps with something like that. Like you can't just look at these things in isolation. Like even looking at them on the, on, on the screen, it's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But like being there. Oh, and yeah. not being like trampled by other people that are listening on their tour guide thing. Yeah, um, I got to tell you, man. I so a, a good friend of ours is, is here in Madrid with me, and his family was visiting, and I just realized that they come from a very different world than I do, and maybe I'm just a little bit different than most people when they go on excursions. <laughs> they they got like a tour company to give them a tour and have a tour guide, and I just don't enjoy that. Like I yeah. Like going in a museum and having a tour guide, I just don't enjoy, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, me neither. Like just look at it. <laughs> yeah, and let the thing reveal itself, it. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And the reason I, I – mean, and I know that there's a little bit of a tangent from your music thing, but I I think that gets to the point of like how a sacred artist in the context of liturgy should see his role is not over-explaining, not overdoing, but just pointing right. to the mystery, right. you know? Right, and right, right. Allowing the mystery to reveal itself, you know. Yeah. Well, and again, it's it's tapping into what is already true and good and beautiful in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the Creator does not. We are not the Creator. <laughs> God is the Creator. Mm-hmm. We work with the Creator. We're co-creators. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as we overstep our bounds, then it becomes something completely different. Right. Um, one of the missionaries was talking to me about um, at this retreat. Apparently, she's going with a group of students to Rome in a couple of weeks. Very cool. And she was kind of asking me a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, like how, you know, how do I encourage these students to really take in the beauty that's there? And I said, part of it is really just slowing down. Like, don't think that you have to see every single thing. Yeah. Goodness. Um, That's huge. Just like, and don't just look at things, see them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like this is one of the things that I would talk about when I was teaching art um, in Regency. Like there's a big difference between looking and seeing, just like hearing and listening. Like mm. one is more active and one is, um, 
yeah, and you're and you're searching and you're um, allow, like you said, allowing it to be to reveal itself. Mm-hmm. One of the things a lot of people struggle with, I think, is oh, well, I don't know. Like I mentioned, well, Jesus is wearing red there, and that's kind of one of the symbols of divinity. It's like, oh, well, I don't know that stuff, so I can't appreciate these old these old things. It's like, well, okay, that's a layer of it. That's an element of what goes into these. But you could not know that that's Jesus and still be struck by it. Sure. Like, there's still a story to be told. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do value, like, I think having an education is important, but I don't, I don't like... So I, even some people here are like, oh, make sure you get the tour guide because there's a lot that you're going to miss. And I just don't really appreciate that kind of advice because it's like, okay, I'll miss it. And <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> it'll be fine. Like, I, I don't feel like my trip to Toledo was a waste because I didn't get a tour guide. You know, like, anyway, I just, and for people who don't get a chance to travel that much, maybe it's, you know, you try to get as much. Sure. As and I mean, can. yeah, you do. You, there, I think there is a sense of wanting to get, you know, your, the bang for your buck or whatever. Hmm. Like you're going to go across the world and not, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I'm glad you had a good retreat with the uh, the Focus guys. That's awesome. Yeah, um, it was cool. It was really cool. I, hope to I had some really good friends who do Focus, and I've always been very impressed with them. I even ran into somebody from my hometown. Really? Yeah. They were saying, hey, uh, so you're from Denver? I said, no, I'm from Texas. They said, oh, I'm from Texas, too. Just a little town you wouldn't have heard of it. Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you are kidding. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so they're, that was they, weird. So they're a focused missionary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where are they a missionary? Ah, I knew you were going to ask me that. I can't remember. Um, oh, come on. I met 30 focused missionaries from 30 different schools. <laughs> How many of them were from Tyler? <laughs> One. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay uh no it was weird it was weird but very cool yeah totally totally good stuff man well hey so lent is coming up lent is coming uh you and got any plans as we speak in what is that math two days three days yeah what's wednesday yeah, <laughs> yeah today's monday and uh wednesday is ash wednesday what are your what are going to be your plans for this this uh lent uh you know, I always struggle with this. Mm-hmm. What to mm-hmm. give up? Mm-hmm. Because I don't like we were talking about. You know, I don't want it just to be this thing that I do mm. for for six weeks or whatever it is. Mm. Um, like how is this time changing me? That's what I'm more concerned with. <sighs> I find this whole thing, this annual conversation, to be exhausting. I just it really is. <laughs> I just don't really. I don't, uh, we, we talk about this every year. Like I just don't do it right and I always fail and it's always kind yeah. of a chore and I'd rather just not, you know. Um, I think the biggest thing is really just to push yourself in whatever whatever way that is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, do you need to, and this was something that came up a lot on this um, retreat, do you need to work on developing your imagination? Like are you unable to pray because you can't imagine things? Like, well, maybe you need to read a fiction book, a fantasy book hmm. to like practice that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that people would think of as a Lenten penance. Yeah, I like that. I guess, so I'm going to sound really terrible here. I just don't understand what the point of all this stuff is. So like, um, so is is Lent? Is, Lent? <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand. What, like, what is the point of Lent? So let's just go back to basics here. So is it is it Catholic self-help? Like if it's self-help, yeah. Yeah, well. then 
and I don't I don't really know if that's the purpose of it. So like, the purpose of everything that we do, of course, is to become more like Jesus. You know, so right. um, I mean, that's a starting point. Is what am I not doing? What am I doing that is not like Jesus? So maybe stop yeah. doing those things. <laughs> and what could I yeah. be doing to be more like Jesus? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you know, that's and, a great place to start. <laughs> yeah. And then like that, that imagination thing works, you know? Um, you know, you and I talked about on our other show about, you know, falling into the catechumenate and like reforming our life. So there's a question there about like, how do I need to reform my life? I think that's better than just jumping right away into the how. Like the why is important. Yeah. Um, I think... I mean, I think, and I think we've talked about this before, I can't remember when, but like Lent is not just this time where you're, where you get to be a good person for a couple of weeks. I think instead it's the church building into our, to our daily life, like our liturgical year, that moment to just stop and do a big examine, like stop and take stock of your life, mm-hmm. like um, and like, and literally like build it in like, this is, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and this is the moment, you know, cause we can say, oh, well, you know, I do that on Saturdays or I do that on, you know, once a month I do right. my exam or whatever. It's like, well, okay, great. But this is, this is kind of bigger than that. Mm-hmm. I think that you, that you really get a chance to walk with Jesus while he's in the desert and to ask yourself exactly what you just said. What am I doing in my life all year round mm-hmm. that's consistent with that? And what am I doing in my life all year round that takes me away from that? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, so <laughs> still I, no. <laughs> well, I, I think I think one of the things that I've been thinking about recently, and, and like I said, we talked about it just not that long ago, is the catechumenate. So, what is the purpose of the catechumenate? It's Are you to me? <laughs> say what? Are you asking me? Yeah, well, I mean, I have an answer. Well, what's your answer? What's the purpose of the catechumenate? The catechumenate is that is that period of of training, mm-hmm. of becoming a Christian. Mm-hmm. And what do we do uh, in the catechumenate? Preparation for baptism. How? You learn the Christian life. You walk with Christians, and you. Um, so, phys- like, you like tangibly, what do you we do? Our Father. You go to RCIA. I don't know. What are you looking for? <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. That's no. I'm, I'm just. I'm, I'm probing. So, like, so a cat, a catechumen. What does a catechumen do? Well, a catechumen gets ready for their baptism. Okay, when do they do that? They do that the forty days leading up to Lent, most specifically. Okay, sorry, the forty days leading up to their baptism, most specifically. Okay, how does the church envision that they prepare? The church envisions that they prepare by. You know, learning about the faith by examining their conscience and and asking for forgiveness through the sacrament of reconciliation, um, if they're a candidate, you know. Um, so okay, am I? Why, why don't I just do that? Why don't I take <laughs> forty days to learn about my faith and go to confession? Is that not enough? Is that? Uh, I think that's. I think that's good. <laughs> and I so, think you can do that. <laughs> so I, I, I think one of the things that so I wanted, that. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about a couple months ago was what your New Year's resolution was. Oh um, God! <laughs> and we're in March almost, and so yeah, I don't make New Year's resolutions, but this year I decided to make a New Year's theme, like a yearly theme, uh-huh. um, to go back to periodically and to ask myself how my year is going relative to that theme. 
Um, my theme this year. This is the year is? of priesthood. Uh huh. So that's my theme: the year of priesthood. Oh, oh, oh. oh. So there's not a theme on top of the year of priesthood. I no, no, no. That, that is the theme. It's the year of priesthood. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> so what does that mean to me? What that means is yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything that I do, or I try to do things generally with reference to that. So that's why my spiritual reading right now is about priesthood. Um, I'm obviously yeah. doing a lot of things anyway in preparation for my ordination, but just kind of like having everything hinge on that reality of my life right now. Um, yeah, well, that's a good idea. So, so how can Lent deepen that? And there it is. So that's a question for me is how can Lent deepen my year of priesthood? So yeah. I have some spiritual reading and then, yeah. So just been thinking about some things. Yeah. And I mean, again, I think this is an opportunity not to do something different, keep doing what you're doing, but to make it a little bit, maybe perhaps if it wasn't already, a little bit more explicitly walking with Jesus on the way to the cross. Yeah. And that's the, that is the priesthood. Um, so, yeah. How about you? What are you doing? Uh, no idea. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> you know, last no year, idea. do you remember what you did? No. You did uh, 40 days of 40 skulls. Oh, yeah, the skulls. That was fun. You Should did like four of them. I, okay. No, I did a lot. I did like 35. No way. Yeah. Yeah. When I went in and added them <laughs> to get them up to 40, I only. <laughs> I only added in like three, three or four. So no, I did why, a lot. Why don't you do something related to your art? Is this your, yeah. your what is your, first off? What is your yearly theme? Do you have a yearly theme? Well, I mean, to be quite honest, I'm also in the year of the priesthood as my first year, and I'm still doing spiritual reading. I bought that book that you sent me or that you recommended, the first five years. Oh, sure. Um, and it's been pretty good. It took like a month to get here from England. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Mm. I actually sent them an email saying, hey, uh, this never got back. Can you give me my money back? Or this never came to me. Can you give me my money back? And then it showed up the next day. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like legitimately a month of wow. shipping. Wow. It's <laughs> terrible. Uh, so, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat where I'm, you know, I'm reflecting on um, things like that mundane, the, the boring, you know, the mundane, <laughs> how, how my priesthood is going to be lived out for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So boring. So, <laughs> so boring. So how does that translate to 40 days? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I like the idea of, of bringing it back to an art related thing, but the problem that comes in with all of these Lenten observances is like, these are just things that I need to be doing anyways. Mm-hmm. And I don't want Lent to be an excuse just to, to do something that I need to be doing anyway. Well, I mean, but if it gets you doing it, then it seems, well, that's tr- Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think we're going to be 50 years ordained priest uh. and still struggling with this. <sighs> yeah, I guess I'll just, Give up meat on Fridays? I don't know. I already do that. So I was going to say, this is something similar to... I had a conversation with our provincial a few years ago about uh, poverty. And I said, you know, I struggle a little bit with the vow of poverty because so much of it, I think, is already built into our life. So community life, by definition, is living the vow of poverty, not having anything that I own. So so much of it is already built in. Like, I don't have any... Right. I don't have any salary or anything like that. 
So when I start getting questions asked of me, like, how am I living the vow? It's like, well, it's kind of built in, you know, like, and so I can get a little scrupulous and to be thinking about like, I'm not living it well because I spent, you know, $10 on ice cream yesterday. But it's <laughs> right. like, well, all the while I don't own a car. I don't have right. a bank account. Like, exactly. I live in community. Like, so I'm living my vow of poverty pretty well. Um, now I can always be living it better. So it's all to say that like the reform of your life, which I think is the purpose of Lent and the purpose of mm -hmm. the, your whole year you're doing most of the things that you should be doing already. You've already integrated right. them. And so like, right. And also Lent already has some built in fasting for you. So do you really need to add much on top of that? Like, do you, you giving up meat on Fridays? That's already prescribed for you. Um, yeah. And I already do that all year round. Right. Right. I think you do it more often than that. Even. Well, I live um, with a vegetarian. So. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so go easy on yourself. But if I were you, I would recommend, you know, doing something with your art just because it seems like you're, yeah. you're the year of art stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is certainly the year of art as well. Is that more than that can't be more than the priesthood? I, I don't think, know. I think your year of priesthood was last year. So, yeah, maybe you should do some artwork related to your priesthood. Hmm. Yeah, you had recommended that a while back. I yeah. can't remember why. Oh, uh, for Christmas card. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever make a Christmas card? No. I did not. <laughs> mm -hmm. There you go. I did I, not. I did. There it is. All right, man. Well, I got to go to my late dinner. So Late dinner? Yeah. You don't want to so, talk about Batman? Oh, what do you want to talk about with Batman? Well, I realize that not everybody likes comic books as much as we like comic books <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. um but that's actually one of the things that um is so fascinating to me about this whole batman drama that is infuriating what are, what are you talking about are you talking about the new movie the new batman yeah oh okay got it patman what are they calling him uh Pattinson? Pattinson. <laughs> yeah yeah something like that uh the new batman movie uh, -huh. uh i really as you know really like BVS. Mm -hmm, Big fan mm -hmm. of Batfleck. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what I'm realizing is that, you know, I just really like comic books. And I think the movies are fun, but there's just a different thing. Right. And I need to not worry about it so much. So like, just why, let it be its own thing. Why have you been worried about it? Well, because I want it to be good. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably like, why it's going like, to be bad. Because I like Batman. The fact that you want it to be good is probably what's going to make it bad. Like, you're... Yeah. Your expectations are getting really high, you know? And so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I had no expectations for Birds of Prey. And so I went to see it, and it was not great, but it wasn't terrible. And it probably would have uh, sucked I even. seen that. It would have been really bad if I had any expectations <laughs> of it being any good. You know? Yeah. I'm just more and more convinced that we just need to stop making movies based on books. Is that too extreme? So is this is this new Batman based on a book? No, just in general. All together, full stop. Stop making <laughs> movies based on books. Okay. Why? So what? <laughs> how did you get there? Like let the book like let the book be a book. Uh-huh. And let and make a movie be, and be this goes back to our conversation about being creative. Hmm. Like are you just going to take an already established character and play with that? Like okay, that's fun, I guess, but like be creative. Yeah. Make something that's for, like Star Wars is a good example of that. Like it wasn't a book first. It spawned a lot of books and I think that's okay to go in that direction. Yeah. But well, um, I think I, I enjoy Batman very much and I enjoy comic books very much. 
Um, I just don't... I, I think part of the problem right now is that there's a generation of millennials who are now the people who pay money to see these things. And, <laughs> and so there's a whole market because you and I are of the generation that grew up with these. So... Yeah. And so there's a whole market and this is why the MCU is so big and this is why the DC universe is trying to be big. I just, and I'm just getting tired of it. Like, <laughs> like the reason Joker well, was so successful is because it just did something that wasn't related yeah. to, you know, comic And books. that's what I've been saying for years. Like, that's what I loved about Rogue One. Like, let's just tell a good story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Joker was that. And so many other movies are that. Right. And with this new Batman movie, there's just a lot of hype around it because people have expectations of it being something uh, yeah. more than what it is. Was it just a movie, you know? Like just I, a movie. I think, I think part of the problem I have, too, is just generally with, with movies these days is that with trailers, there was trailers, but now there's teaser trailers, and then there's, like, stills that tease yeah, the teaser right. of the trailer for the movie, you know? And yeah. just degrees and degrees of teasing us to, yeah, yeah where everything gets, everything gets scrutinized to oblivion, where Don't you have care. you have one image of the new Batman suit, and everyone goes insane, and they start analyzing every little detail. Um, yeah. And now we've got the little video of his stunt double falling over. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. All that being said, though, you and I are hooked. We're going to definitely go watch it. I mean, like... <sighs> yeah. They got us by the true. wallet, man. <sighs> I hate that. It is. It is terrible. All right. Indeed. Well, we Coleman. can talk more about this later. Because I have Sounds a lot good. of other stuff about books and creativity that I think fit in. Anyway. Sounds good, man. All right. I got to run. All right. Go to dinner. All right, dude. Peace out. See you, buddy.